0: The
1: Guardian. One of the big questions people always say is like, why? Why would you want to do this, you know? And I think that it's the same as asking that question, why would I want a tattoo?
0: This is Jeffrey Tibbets. At the start of May, he co-hosted Grindfest 2019, a festival for which dozens of fans of a very particular kind of body modification made the journey to the Tehachapi Mountains in California.
1: Uh, It's a place where uh, the Biohack Grinder community uh, comes together each year in order to um, collaborate and facilitate each other's projects.
0: Jeffrey performed procedures on people who wanted to, in one way or another, merge themselves with machines.
1: The injectables, there's actually uh, a pretty broad range at this point. Some of them um, are like the fireflies, which are a uh, an implant that just glows through the skin. It's entirely aesthetic. Um, there are also um, uh, some of them which uh, will transmit your body temperature.
0: Humans have been using technology to alter their bodies for decades. Many women have medical devices implanted in their arms as a form of contraception. And people with heart problems can be helped with an artificial pacemaker. Implants like these are considered medically necessary or helpful. But some people like to take the idea of body modification a lot further.
2: A cybernetic organism is something that's part biology, part technology. But the science fiction view that that we get is where the technology and the human are integrated. A a bit like in Robocop, maybe, is a good example. But that as a result, the cyborg gets abilities that are beyond what the norm is for humans.
0: Cyborgs feature heavily in science fiction. And, as we will discuss in this episode, this kind of body modification can have interesting real-life applications. But is this practice safe?
1: Anything you're doing presents a certain risk, okay? And there are more and more people every year getting involved. Eventually someone will die.
0: I'm Jordan Erica Weber, and this week I delve into the often controversial world of biohacking to explore how, when used in the right way, technology can enhance the human form and find out why some of the latest forms of biohacking face medical, ethical and legal challenges. This is Chips with Everything.
2: I'm Kevin Warwick a professor of cybernetics, but also emeritus professor at both Coventry and Reading Universities. But I'm also called Captain Cyborg by some of the media because of my experiments linking my nervous system to the Internet.
0: Is it fair to say that you are the world's first cyborg?
2: Well, I think so. If you look at cyborgs in terms of having technology integrated into the human, yes, that I tick the box on that but also doing experiments that take me beyond the norm for humans, so extra abilities. So not, not just uh, in therapy, as it were. You could say someone with an artificial leg is a cyborg, but the leg is just sort of trying to replace the human leg that they've lost. What I've done is experiment with extra senses and new means of communication to, to push beyond the human norm, which I think ticks the big box for cyborgs.
0: Kevin's personal fascination with this kind of body modification began when he was a child.
2: My father had agoraphobia when I was a young child and he, in the end, they gave him an operation. He had it so bad and as he described it, they cut out some of his brain cells and it got rid of his agoraphobia. A very dangerous operation, I don't think they do it now, but it cured him. So as a young child, I was aware of what was possible when you change what's going on in the human body. And then later, as a professor of cybernetics, I was aware that we had technology, we had lots of technology around us, the potential to use implants to change what's going on in the human body, to do a lot more than was done with my father. So in
0: 1998, Kevin offered himself as a scientific experiment, and with a team of five others, started Project Cyborg. So far, it has consisted of two stages, Project Cyborg 1.0 and 2.0. The first procedure was less than simple.
2: We, in the first case, we had an intelligent building. What that was was um, with the smart card moving around in the building, the computer could monitor where it was going or where anybody was going. And then we got it to do things for the person. Um, but at the same time, this is going back 20 years, we knew that there was technology available that could potentially be implanted, although it wasn't actually designed to be implanted. So we gave it a go, essentially implanting the same sort of thing as a smart card, which meant that with that implant in place, which later became called an identification or RFID, Radio Frequency Identification Device, so that was what I had implanted the first time, and so as I moved around the building uh, with that implant, doors opened for me, lights came on, I got a hello, Professor Warwick, when I came through the front door. So it was tremendously exciting.
0: Four years later, the team followed up with Project Cyborg 2.0.
2: The first part we had signals going in my body, but they were just energising an implant which was sending signals back again. The signals weren't changing at all. And I figured, well, can we change the signals? which is what happened with Cyborg 2.0. I had what's called the brain gate implant, which consisted of 100 small spikes. The spikes were one and a half millimeters long. They had electrodes on the end of them. And this was fired at high velocity into my nervous system by surgeons in an operation. It lasted about two hours, the operation, because it was the first time it had been done on a human. So I had this, this brain gate fired into my nervous system. And as part of the experiment, we linked my nervous system to the Internet, but via a computer system. So it was bi-directional. So signals from my brain, neural signals, as if I moved my hand, signals we could pick up in the implant, which was in my nervous system, and send to the computer and off onto the Internet but also back the other way. We could take uh, electrical signals to stimulate my nervous system, which it took about six weeks for my brain to understand the signals reliably. Um, but then we could do a whole bunch of sensory experiments as well, and particularly, which is very cybernetics, with feedback, that I could move things with my brain signals and via the Internet and also experience feedback from whatever it was I was moving.
0: So undergoing these procedures, did it ever hurt at any point? The description of Cyborg 2.0 firing these spikes into your nervous system sounds really painful. Were you ever nervous about it?
2: So I think the night before, I I did start to, what am I doing here? But I wasn't in terms of stopping it. It was just not something I was particularly looking forward to. However, when it came to it, the operation was a bit of a research thing in itself. And I can remember at one time, Peter Teddy, who was the the lead um, consultant surgeon on it, he grabbed hold of my nervous system with with some forceps. And what it felt like was it was like electricity was running through my hands. It was a bit like when the the cat in Tom and Jerry gets electrocuted. (laughs) And that's what it felt like. It was absolutely fantastic to realize we actually have electricity running through us. And it was that sort of thing that brought that home to me.
0: Kevin was determined and exhilarated about what results these experiments could provide. Others, including loved ones, were seriously worried.
2: My daughter, the one time, you know, we get on really well, and she was saying, look, Dad, you you don't have to do this. I think that was when she was realising it it could go wrong. You know, it could go horribly wrong. And, you know, I I could have problems as a result of it. And I think, you know, she was crying before and saying, "You, you don't have to do this, which I knew I didn't. But it was something I did from a scientific point of view, felt I had to do.
0: So some people compare this act of becoming part machine to getting a tattoo, right? You know, body modification. And we know that some people do go on to regret tattoos, maybe because they were drunk at the time they decided to get it done, or just because people change over time. Did you ever have any regrets about becoming a cyborg?
2: Oh, not at all. Not at all. No, Um, we got some fantastic, unique results. I mean, it's the great thing when you're the first person to do anything or the first team to do anything, you get results that are exceptional. And nothing can beat that. I I mean, uh, one part of the experiment, my wife got involved as well. She had electrodes inserted in her nervous system, and we linked our nervous systems together electrically, which I don't think anybody's done that before. But we did it for communication purposes. So we had a, a sort of telegraphic communication. When she closed her hand, My brain received an electrical pulse directly, a direct electrical circuit. So when she went dick, 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 I got three um, pulses and so on. And it was great that I could receive these pulses and I knew she was communicating because for me, ultimately, when we're not just linking nervous system to nervous system, but it's brain to brain then it's the basis for thought communication. And to be the first to do something like that, great. You know, this this is absolutely amazing as a scientist that you can do something like that.
0: The second phase of Project Cyborg happened nearly 20 years ago. But Kevin, now in his 60s, has continued his work in cybernetics and is currently interested in how we might use this kind of science to better understand neurological disorders. And if you think Kevin has hung up his cyborg hat now that he's hit retirement age, think again.
2: I think for me the big experiment is linking two human brains together and I I keep saying next year I will do it. I'm still saying next year. Um, The surgeons are there, one of them particularly, yes, let's go for it, but it would involve an implant or maybe two implants in my brain and two implants in another person's brain And linking them together for communication purposes. So there are issues because it's a dangerous operation anyway, and there are issues there. Things could go wrong. But the big one is it's that Jekyll and Hyde moment. If you can imagine, there are two brains with implants, and now we're going to link them together. Now that Could be positive from a communications point of view, but it could be a negative from other aspects because the neurons might start doing the communication and not doing what they were doing before. So it's it's that Jekyll and Hyde moment where you hope it's all going to work as you hypothesize that it will, but you're not sure until you actually try it.
0: Seems like the kind of thing your daughter might have a problem with.
2: (laughs) I think so. My wife as well is not too keen on it. But for me, from a scientific point of view, it's tremendously exciting. I do want to do it. But as I say, I keep putting it off every year.
0: After the break, I'll explore the biopunk world of grinding.
1: You know, the benefit is that, look, we're we're trying to raise the bar on humanity itself. You know, we're trying to get to a point where people are smarter and better and more connected. And, uh, you know, can we do these things and, you know, and cooler? And I think personally that that benefit outweighs the risk.
0: We'll be back after this. It's
1: time to focus.
2: The mood in the UK right now, it seems to me, is a huge set of tensions and contradictions and emotions and feelings about our past, and we're not thinking very much about the future.
0: Today in Focus is the new daily podcast from The Guardian. Join me, Anushka Rastana, for the best stories from our journalists around the world. Subscribe now to Today in Focus
1: from The Guardian.
0: Welcome back to Chips with Everything. I'm jordan Erica Weber. This week, we're exploring what it means to be a cyborg, and some of the ways people go about becoming one. Before the break, we spoke to the man who many believe to be the world's first cyborg, Kevin Warwick, a scientist who thinks that combining technology with the human body can help us to better understand, and even improve, the way we function.
1: The reason I'm out in Tehachapi, which is way out uh, nowhere, it's, it's right outside of uh, LA County. Um, the, the reason is because, yeah, I got land out here. It's fantastic.
0: Kevin's work was a form of academic and scientific experimentation. But some people choose to modify their bodies for other reasons. So producer Danielle called up Jeffrey Tibbets, the man you heard at the beginning of this episode, to learn more about his work as a grinder.
1: Yeah, a grinder is uh, kind of a specific uh, subculture of the kind of larger biohack or uh, biohack type movement, transhumanism. uh, It all kind of ties together. But grinders in particular are people who are using technology available today and uh, finding ways to augment the body with it.
3: Yeah, I rang Jeffrey the day Grindfest was set to start. So as you can imagine, he was quite busy. But also I should mention that in order to get good signal, Jeffrey had to walk around a good bit and eventually settled outside his lab, so at parts you may hear some of the sounds
0: that nature has to offer in the Tehachapi Mountains. <laughs> yeah, it's not the environment that I would have pictured for something quite so science fiction-y. So what did you learn about Grindfest? What kinds of things do people do there?
3: Well, before a scalpel is even lifted, the group of maybe 40 or 50 people gathered to check out the sky.
1: Tonight, there's going to be a meteor shower. So we're going to have uh, dinner under essentially a large plastic see-through uh, dome and uh, watch the meteor shower. We also have set up a um, uh, an FM receiver, which is able to receive uh, – Uh, FN station from a station like eight hundred miles away because um, when the meteors uh, streak through the sky, they ionize the air and the uh, waves will bounce off the ionized air and you hear it on the radio as uh, basically kind of a a, almost like a streaming by, a volume increasing. It's it's really cool. It's a cool way to listen to the meteor shower. Yeah, of course. The The
0: meteor shower sounds pretty great, but what about the procedures these grinders come to have done?
1: Okay, so uh, you know, uh, of course there there are. people who are solely uh, interested in doing things like BCI or, or things that are going to augment um, functionally. But, but there are plenty of people involved in the movement who are also artists. And so they're implanting devices like, uh, for example, there's um, uh, a device being marketed called a Firefly. And it actually uses a small amount of tritium uh, to cause light to emit through the skin. And, uh, you know, they spent... A long time testing it and the, uh, they made a coating that's not allowing anything to, uh, to leak any of the radiation to come out. Um, and so people are using this and putting them underneath tattoos or uh, different areas to where at night you can see it just glowing through the skin.
0: So other than LED lights under the skin, what other kinds of implants do people get at Grindfest?
1: There are also um, some of them which uh, will transmit your body temperature. Um, so you can, it can communicate via NFC and tell you your body temperature continuously. You know? So there's a lot of little fun ones like that. Um, there are also some larger stuff uh, that's a little more invasive. For example, magnet implants. Uh, with these magnets, they are all... Um...
0: So it sounds like these people perceive grinding as a kind of body art, like tattoos or piercings, another way to use your body in self-expression.
1: Exactly. And there's plenty of people who that's their primary interest. This is just new ways to express themselves, you know? And, uh, you know, then there's the flip side. Like for me, for example, I don't have any tattoos. It's, that's not uh, the, the aesthetics is not as interesting to me, but, um, but I certainly, uh, helped a lot of people with different projects like that. And, uh, you know, I think it's totally valid, you know, people, uh, one of the big questions people always say is like, why, why would you want to do this? You know? And I think, yeah, well, I think that It's the same as asking that question, why would I want a tattoo?
3: I think, though, a lot of people who are kind of getting to know about grinding or biohacking or or whatever you want to call it, they're kind of saying, well, tattoos and, say, piercings have been done for centuries, say, Um, even if there are still a lot of people in society who don't accept them. The people who are questioning grinding are saying, this is quite new and why would you do this and, it's it's not just tattooing ink, it's inserting something into you or it's surgery or it's whatever. So, you know, what would you say to that? It's kind of an extra level of tattooing or piercing, no?
1: Um, I would say that it may be more advanced than tattooing or piercing, but uh, it's on the same spectrum. So um, there are things that in the future we'll get to that oh yeah i mean it's a whole different thing when you're talking about like uh some of warwick's uh, projects i mean he essentially had a a surgeon going in and getting close to the median nerve from from what i understand and so that's a whole different thing i mean that's very different than you know a radio frequency id tag which you insert under the skin um apparently in nevada they're attempting to make this law which makes it illegal to um insert radio frequency id tags you know and it's a really strange thing
0: because That's the proposal made earlier this year by Assemblyman Skip Daly, who wants to ban the forced implementation of microchips or any other permanent marking on humans. This would prevent, for example, companies from forcing their employees to get microchipped.
3: Yeah, five states, including California, have already banned mandatory microchipping. But just to be clear, the proposal in Nevada wouldn't apply to people who voluntarily get an implant or other permanent marking like a tattoo, for instance. So anything for artistic or creative reasons. This is just one example of why regulating a practice like grinding is so complex.
0: Another complication for grinding is whether the law accepts it as a form of body modification like tattooing or piercing.
3: Right, so in the UK, for example, there have been recent legal cases about body modification by registered practitioners who have, with the consent of their client, carry out modifications not with a microchip or a magnet, but for example to create forked tongues, tattoo eyeballs or remove ears. In these cases, UK law says that if actual bodily harm is inflicted upon a person with no good reason, in public or private, the consent of the
0: victim is irrelevant. And obviously then you have the difficulty of legally defining terms like harm and good reason.
3: Yeah, and it remains to be seen whether modifications of the type grinders do will result in cases like this coming to court in the UK. But if we go back to Jeffrey in California, what they're doing at Grindfest is totally legal. Right, so it's legal, but is it safe? So Jeffrey is a registered nurse by day, and he makes it clear that he doesn't consider grinding to be a medical procedure. They're two separate acts. He points out that there are definitely some risks involved.
1: Anything you're doing presents a certain risk, okay? With biohacking, uh, the risk is entirely dependent upon what type of project we're talking about. I mean, some of this stuff is entirely unexplored. There are people who are playing around with the idea of doing uh, stem cell modifications and and uh, all kinds of genetic modifications. Uh, you know, I, I think that, yeah, there's some of this stuff is very risky, but I think that the people who are doing it um, are quite thorough in researching all of the things they need to do in order to do it most safely. That doesn't mean that something bad can't happen. But once again, you know, there's a big difference between the people who are doing some cutting-edge things and putting, you know, very large things in their body or, or, you know, doing major modification cells versus something like our magnet. In terms of doing it right, going through it and doing it safely, um, there's, there's, really, it's a, this entire community is about education. I would say biohackers or grinders are very conservative people okay Um, conservative in that if we see someone else doing something dangerous or lackadaisical not doing the due diligence to to, to do something they're doing at least as safely as it can be done um, it's it's pretty frowned upon you know I, I think it is inevitable someone will die from this type of activity at some point because this is not going away and there are more and more people every year getting involved eventually someone will die now I, I think that in the media that's not going to uh, uh, play out very well for us. However, when you think about the number of deaths from just uh, playing tennis or you know all kinds of strange things, I don't think that uh, that really reflects upon the work that we're doing.
3: Have you ever turned down a request for a procedure?
1: Sure, as an example. Um, You know, a lot of people are very interested in putting devices under the skin. The problem with it is always going to be power supply because, I mean, we've all seen videos of lithium-based batteries going off in someone's pocket and bursting into flames. Can you imagine what would happen if if that occurred under the skin? You know, it really comes down to we have to do really extensive testing before we consider actually putting something in. And, of course, the person who is doing the procedure always has the final word because, you know, I'm not going to do something that I think is unsafe,
3: you mentioned there that, you know, if, if anyone from your your community sees people doing it um, inadequately or unsafely, it's frowned upon. But how, how do you guys make it safe? What are the safety techniques?
1: Okay, so uh, I guess the start would be my cleaning cart. I've got a pretty nice cleaning cart, right? And, uh, you know, the cleaning cart has uh, all similar um, uh, actual uh, products. So, for example, we use bleach at a 10% uh, ratio. Um, diluted as a disinfectant. We uh, go through and use the same types of techniques by studying how they clean operating rooms. That's the same way we're actually cleaning the rooms in between uh, procedures, okay? On top of that, PPE, an uh,
0: approval process. Before the break, Kevin Warwick told us that when he was getting ready to undergo the procedure that would make him the world's first cyborg, his daughter kept telling him that he didn't have to do it. And I'm sure a lot of people feel this way about grinding.
3: Yeah, but Jeffrey feels that people attending his festival have taught a lot about whether they want to make changes to their bodies.
1: You know, for someone to be getting something large and invasive, they're probably involved in the community and they know people and they work together to make it happen. It's pretty difficult to go from zero to creating some kind of, you know, engineering the electronic aspects of a device, programming it, and knowing how to do the biocoding and knowing how to do the procedure yourself. There's a lot of aspects to it where you're more than likely, if you're at the point where you're willing and ready to de- to implant a device, you've probably worked with enough people that we know you, we know who you are, And uh, if there was some reason to believe that um, you weren't of sound mind, that we really wouldn't be working with you.
3: And just to reiterate, people who attend Grindfest aren't trying to cure an ailment or fix a problem they feel they have. Grinding isn't a medical procedure. As Jeffrey explains, it's about going above and beyond with what humans already are and can already do.
1: We're trying to push humans beyond uh, uh, some sense of normalcy we're, we're trying to create better humans so uh, when you look at that you know the benefit is that look we're, we're trying to raise the bar on humanity itself you know we're trying to get to a point where people are smarter and better and more connected and uh, you know uh, can we do these things and, and you know and cooler and I think personally that 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 benefit outweighs the risk
0: Captain Cyborg himself, Kevin Warwick, is also interested to see how grinders will impact the biohacking world.
2: I respect very much what they're doing and quite often we get some good results that we can use in terms of what materials they're using, what happens in the body to the the implant, whatever it happens to be. Uh, And it's quite exciting to see some of the more perhaps more artistic results that come out. But certainly I'm not going to close my eyes and say so I'm, not, I'm not looking at this because what they're doing is very interesting and it actually helps the field. So I respect what they're doing very much.
0: As with most things, regulation will play a huge part in determining the future direction of this form of biohacking. Right now, Grinding is pretty much on the fringe of what society finds acceptable, but once a practice is regulated, it tends to become more mainstream. It'll be interesting to see how this affects the creativity of those attending Grindfest. My thanks to Kevin Warwick and Jeffrey Tibbetts for joining me on the show this week. There will be a link to both of their websites on The Guardian website. As always, send me any ideas you have for future episodes to chipspodcast at theguardian.com. I'm jordan Erica Webber. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to
2: theguardian.com slash podcasts.